Grab your Bibles, would you please? You're going to open them up to Luke chapter 10. While you're turning there, uh, I know it's been often joked about how much I enjoy the Hallmark Christmas movies. Okay, I, I get that, okay? And I, I'm the one up here often talking about it, right? But I am going to make a confession here and say that I'm actually probably more of a Western fan than I am the Hallmark movies, okay? I, nothing beats a good Western. Cowboys and, and Indians, gunfights, scenic outdoor views. I, I, I grew up watching John Wayne, liked him. Clint Eastwood was a close second, but, you know, and there were other actors uh, that I enjoyed watching being cowboys. Um, but, you know, in the Western, they're as predictable as the Hallmark movies. They really are, okay? You just don't know how it's going to be. Bad guy comes into town, sheriff gets killed or run out of town, we need to find a new sheriff, and then he's going to deputize a bunch of unlikelies who are going to help save the day, right? That's usually how a Western rolls for the most part, right? So I was thinking about this, that right now our world, our world is, is pretty messy, unruly, sort of like the old wild, wild west, people just go out and shoot up and do whatever they want to do. And I was thinking, it's like, man, there's a lot of disorder. And it's like, we just need somebody to, to ride in and save the day, right? So I was, thought a little bit more about this. Like, well, isn't that what God did? Didn't, didn't God sort of come in the flesh as Jesus Christ? This hero arrives to save the day. Jesus, our Messiah. He, and here's the thing. He has enough power and enough ability Really, he doesn't need anybody else. He can clean the town if he wants. But what he does is he deputizes all of us as children of God to help out. And it's like, as a Christian, it's like he puts that little badge on you and says, all right, now I want you to serve with me. I want you to help me take the good news out there. That's the church. We've been rescued. We've been deputized. Now we're filled with the very spirit of a holy God who says, go out in the streets and clean them up. Share the good news. And here's the thing. It's not going to be easy, but that is part of our purpose here on earth as Christians. When you look into the book of Luke, and and what I love about this, in, in the Advent books that we gave you, and we said, read these Advent books. They're for the whole family. It's not, it's not a little kid Advent. It's for the whole family. And if you didn't get a book, read through the book of Luke with us. So today is December 13, right? Am I right? 12? Where am I at? 12? I not looked really at my calendar for today. I just know it was Sunday. So today is Luke 12. So two days ago, it was Luke 10. Months ago, when we were planning out this sermon, it's like, okay, here's what I'm going to be preaching on. Here's the sermon I'm going to be reading. And then it was probably weeks later, it's like, man, I really feel, God, that we're, yep, let's get these Advent books. And then open up the Advent book, Luke 10, it's like, whoa, I'm preaching on this. Or it's going to be part of the Luke 10 as part of the story today. And it's like, isn't that awesome how God works? So, but if you were reading Friday, you'll see this scripture. Let me put it on the screen. It says this, the harvest is great. But the workers are few, so pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now go, remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Jesus basically is, is, is telling us here, there is a great need for us as Christians to get out there and share the good news. We need you out there. 
is what Jesus says. That's what he's telling his disciples. But he says this, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be like lambs among wolves. Everybody have a picture of that? It's sort of a scary thing. It's sort of a dangerous thing to be lambs hanging out with a bunch of wolves. It's going to get messy, right? But what did Jesus say? But he goes, remember, hey, I'm with you on this. You're not alone. It'll be dangerous. It'll be scary. But remember, I'm deputizing you as my disciples to go, and I will go with you. And so they do go, and these disciples come back, and they get all these great reports. They're like, it was amazing, Jesus. We were tossing demons. People were getting better healthy-wise. We're, we're sharing the good news. And they were all excited and fired up. And I love this. Jesus looks at them like, yeah, duh. <laughs> Didn't I tell you this? But then he told them this. He says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. Did you see that? He's like, this is great. I love it that you're doing my work. I deputize you to go do it. You're doing it. And I'm glad you should rejoice. But rejoice even more that your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice even more that you're my child. I mean, it's great to see lives change for eternity. You want to see a grown man cry? Put me in a room with a bunch of teenagers who are worshiping genuinely, okay? And I see that they love the Lord. And it's like, and even this on a Sunday morning when I see you guys worshiping, it's like, it makes me want to rejoice. It really does. But Jesus says, but rejoice even more that your name is registered in heaven. That your name is in the Lamb's book of life. Rejoice even more that someday you're going to worship with angels. Let that sink in. Rejoice over that truth. Rejoice. And so being deputized by Jesus is very rewarding. But it's also a huge responsibility. Big responsibility. You know, we rejoice. Yeah, my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And Jesus says, then act like your name's in the Lamb's Book of Life. Live like your name is registered in heaven. So filled with God's Holy Spirit as we've been going through this this scripture of Galatians chapter 5, we are reflecting God's love and peace and joy and kindness and patience and goodness. It's like when resentment comes flying in, love says, I'm conquering it all. It's when disappointment starts to dampen our day, joy ascends up. And when anxiety and fear start to flood our direction, peace surges back. And when selfishness and greed grab onto us, goodness generously releases us from that stronghold. And when irritation tells you to just give up and quit, the enduring spirit of God says, be patient. By the power of God's spirit, we are deputized and we represent the new sheriff in town, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. But then we read that next part of the scripture and it says, kindness. (laughs) Kindness. Well, what is this kindness you speak of, God? Because I've I've seen a lot of shirts lately. Maybe you've seen a lot of shirts lately as well. It says, be kind. Or a lot of signs that just be kind. Because in the last year and a half, it seems like a lot of people are not kind. And so just please be kind. Well, what does that mean? You know, and I look in the scripture, over 250 times I find the word kind. But then I go to Galatians chapter 5, which is our main scripture, and I look at that word kindness, and the Greek word there, it's only used 10 times. So I want to look at those 10 verses that show me what, is, what kind of kindness are we talking about here. And the word kindness there is, is also translated gentleness. Now, so some of your translations, if you're reading, it says 
The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Well, that is kindness. And what does that mean? Basically, you are friendly to others. Matter of fact, if you're in a position of leadership, you are showing kindness to those who are below you, who you're like being benevolent to those underneath you is the way the word was defined. So I'm thinking, okay, kindness. But doesn't that sound so soft, so weak? I mean, to a 255-pounder, six-foot-four middle linebacker, he's like, go hit them, rip their head off, fire out, be tough, be kind. It just doesn't flow, does it? I mean, it's just like, no, it's, it's not very powerful, right? But then I thought about this. Is God weak? Is God soft? I mean, seriously, you think about that, it's like, I would never say God is soft or weak. I mean, he is just, he's powerful, he is mighty. It's like when you talk about God, you almost want to throw your shoulders back and like sort of puff your chest out and say, man, God is big and strong, right? But he's also kind. He's also kind. You know how hard it is to be kind to people who are not nice? I mean, really, as, as human beings, we are sinful. We're mistake makers. We are rebellious people who go against the holy God all the time. And really, God should just say, I'm just going to vaporize you. <laughs> Maybe hit you over the head with a two by four. I don't know. But what does God do? In his kindness, he shows us grace and mercy. That sounds like a very strong God to do that, but that's his kindness. Let me help you out with scripture. Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, and you're going to see this again in Titus, it sounds very similar because Paul seems like he's repeating himself, but he says this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. You obeyed the devil, the commander, the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in our hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So see, if you're refusing to obey God, you know who, who's at work in you? The devil's at work in you, right? Verse 3, all of us, all of us used to live that way. All of us. No one in here is exempt. We follow the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. So Paul's saying, we're all sinners. We are all inclined to mess up. We are all subject to God's wrath. We are entitled to hell. We deserve punishment. And a just and holy God has to do that. It's like you stepped out of bounds, there's a penalty, right? But read on. Verse 4 says, But God is so rich in mercy. He loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Not through baptism, not because of your grandma was a Christian, not because you do good things, not because you went to church, but by the grace of God, we have been saved. Verse 6 says, For he raised us from the dead, along with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms, because we are united with Christ Jesus. Verse 7, So God can point to us, and all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of what? His grace and what? Kindness toward us as shown in all that he's done for us who are united with Christ. You see, God is this mighty, powerful God that looks out on our sin and says, by my grace, by my kindness, 
I'm going to forgive you because I love you. That's a strong God showing kindness. In Titus, we see the same thing. He says this, once we, too, were foolish and disobedient. Sound like the way he started off in Ephesians 2, right? We were misled and became slaves to many and uh, lust and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy. We hated each other. Verse 4. But when God, our Savior, revealed his what? Kindness, yes, and love. He saved us not because of the righteous things he had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, given us new birth, new life through his Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in the sight. He gave us confidence we will inherit eternal life. See, because God is kind and his spirit indwells us, we too are infused with God's kindness. You know, I decided then, after reading all this, you know what I decided? Kindness is easy. It's easy to be kind. And then I got out of bed. And I looked in the mirror and decided it's not that easy to be kind because I can be unkind to myself and how I look at myself sometimes and how I think of myself. And then I found out it's even a little bit harder to be kind to the people in my house. Family is a good test range, isn't it, for things before we go into the world. And then when I leave the house and head out into the world, then I found out it's even a little bit harder to be kind. See, on my own, it is challenging to be kind to be nice, especially to people who are maybe a little bit more difficult, right? So as much as I say I'm kind and it's easy to be kind, it's, it's actually challenging, isn't it? So again, referencing that old Western sheriff, as a child of God, I've been deputized. And, uh, and here's the thing, if some dude walks into my life who isn't very kind, who isn't very lovable, someone maybe, maybe who annoys me, and it's like God says, I deputize you to be kind to that person. And I'm like, yeah, but my flesh is a little bit more glad in showing them the other side of town. Right? But my spirit says, but I want you to be kind to that person. Thus, the battle enrages internally, right? Be kind, but it's so hard, but I can do it, right? So in your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we're going to start about the story in verse 25. And I love this story. We've talked about it before, but I've discovered something new in sharing it. So we're going to read it. And again, I had no idea Luke 10 would be part of our daily reading. That's the way God works, right? Let's start. Here we go. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? Well, the man answered, you, that's easy, right? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. Do this and you'll live. But the man wanted to justify his actions, and so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man's traveling 
from Jerusalem down to Jericho. He was attacked by bandits. They stripped off his clothes. They beat him up and they left him half dead beside the road. So here's the story. We have this certain lawyer who comes to Jesus. He's, a study, he's been studying the law of Moses for, for years, right? And here's the way these, these religious lawyers worked back then. They loved to study. They didn't solve a lot of things. They just loved to study and talk about it. And so it's like, hey, here's Jesus. I want to talk about it. I might test him. Let's see what Jesus knows, right? So he poses this question, and it's like, yes, Jesus, you know, well, hey, who's my neighbor? Because he knows what Scripture says. I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But he's like, so who is my neighbor? And don't we all sort of do that sometimes? I mean, it's like, for me, it's like I've got my circle of people that I'm, I'm comfortable with, that I know, and I can, they're neighborly to me. I can be neighborly to them. I can show them kindness. But just outside that circle are some people a little bit more difficult to be kind to, right? I, I want to know, Jesus, how far do I stretch that line out? How far, I mean, there is a line, right, Jesus? Because obviously there's somebody who's my neighbor, there's somebody who's not my neighbor, so there must be a line. Jesus, where do I draw the line and who I am kind to and who do I love and so forth and so on, right? Because I already know what it means to love. We defined that a few weeks ago, what it means to love, but I want to know who my neighbor is. As Christians, we all know, let's go back to the first part, we all know we're supposed to love God, right? That was the, the first command. The greatest command is to love the Lord our God, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And actually, actually, that's the vision of our church, right? That's the mission of it. Is we want to gather on Sunday to express that. When we first sat down at a coffee shop and, and Dan asked me, do you want to plant a church? And I said, no. You know, and he said, well, if we did plant a church, what do you, I said, listen, I just want a place where I can love God with everything I got on Sunday. The rest of the week, I just want to be the church. And isn't that what Scripture tells us? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I think about this on Sunday today, on here, today, this Sunday. This is not about my message. This is not about who you met when you walked in the doors, who you greeted. This isn't about the, the soft chair that you're sitting in or whether or not you did or did not get a cup of coffee or whether somebody said hi to you or didn't say hi to you. That, that's not what Sunday's about. Those are important. Don't get me wrong. Those are all important. But the whole purpose of coming here on Sunday, the whole reason why we open up these doors and turn the lights on is because we want to worship God. That's it. Everything else is a bonus. It really is. See, when you worship, you give up your time. You decided that today, Sunday morning, December 12th, I could be doing a bunch of other stuff. But today, I'm going to give up an hour plus of my timing, go worship. Some of you give up your tithe, your finances. You give back to God, whether it's in the blessings box or online, but you financially say, I'm going to give back to God because you understand that's worship. Some of you say, I'm going to serve. Maybe I'll do in the nursery. I'll be a greeter. I'll do security. Um, I'll, I'll serve some way. Maybe it's on Wednesday night. Maybe it's but that's, that's worship. That's all part of worship. But all the other stuff, the warm room, the greetings, the coffee, uh, even the message. You know what? That's just a bonus. When I go to a store, I have a purpose. Usually, I don't just wander in a store and just walk around and wait for something to jump out at me. It's like, I need to go pick something up. So I got it on my list. I got one or two things, and I go in there. Now, if I go into that store, 
and I run into somebody I haven't seen in a while, I have a great conversation, or I run into one of you, or, or I meet somebody new, or I found a sell item that I didn't expect to got, but get, but I got, you know, and it's like, you know what that is? That's, those are all bonuses. I went with one purpose. Everything else is a bonus. Sunday, it's just about worshiping God. Everything else is a bonus. Love God. That's the command. And we try to give everyone that opportunity to fulfill that command on every Sunday. And you guys know that. You guys know that if it snows and we, all the churches are canceling, you guys know. Uh, just go to YouTube and I click onto our website because it'll be coming live from my family room. I'll be out of the fireplace behind me. We will still have church because I believe it's important to worship on Sunday. But we're told the next great command is to what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so again, we go back now. Now we understand what it means about loving God. Now we're going to love our neighbor. I heard one author say, if you love God, you don't have to ask who your neighbor is. Because with God's love flowing out of you, everyone you meet is going to be your neighbor. It's an interesting way to look at it, isn't it? But at this story, we look at Jesus is going to answer this, this young lawyer's question by making it very relatable, making it very real, using a situation and a circumstance that he could totally relate to. So he looks at Jerusalem. Jerusalem is 2,300 feet above sea level. Jericho is about 800 feet below sea level. So the trip is a very um, downhill, jagged, a lot of turns, a lot of big rocks. You could hide behind. Thieves and robbers knew. If I want to jump somebody, this is the trail to do it. So right away, this, this young lawyer is like, yeah. I can picture that because he's probably been on that same track. He's probably walked that, that trail before, that journey before. And Jesus say, I'm telling you this story because I want you to picture. Are you picturing this young man? He's like, yeah, I see it. You know why he's doing that? Because if we can relate to a story, we are probably going to respond better. Let me give you an example. And I hope uh, Troy will forgive me on this one. I didn't ask him ahead of time, but it came to my mind. I was thinking about this. Troy Armstrong is the superintendent of our schools here, and he has a lot of big, important decisions to make, and it's never easy. And I know this in leadership. When you've got to make decisions, nobody's ever going to be fully on board. You will never have 100% of the people saying, great decision. You're always going to have people that are going to be disagreeing with you. That's, that's, that's leadership, right? I also know this. To have a father in your life who can dispel wisdom upon you. Who, when you need to talk to somebody, go, hey, dad, I need to talk to you about this. That's important. So being in leadership and having lost my dad a few years back, when Troy contacted me this week to tell me about his dad passing away, I knew exactly where Troy was. I could relate to his leadership position and his dad not being there anymore and how his heart is probably broken. Because I've been there. When you can relate to somebody, you're able to know how to pray for them, how to show kindness to them. That's what Jesus is doing here. So for all of you, when you've ever gone through something, I'm going to tell you something right now. What you've gone through is going to help you relate to somebody who's going to need some love somewhere down the road at any point in time. He most likely, as I said, made this trip. So let's look at verse 31. By chance, a priest comes along, and when he saw the man lying there, he crossed the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, again, this, the first man, the priest, as he's walking by, if you're going to lead at the temple, it's sort of like this. There's about 1,200 priests that come throughout the year to lead. They get a two-week period to lead at the temple. The rest of the time, they're back at their remote village, wherever they are, being with, doing what they do. 
But two weeks out of the year, if it was me, two weeks out of the year, I get to go to the temple and, and, and serve God. And it would have been huge. It was like, this is, I can't wait. This is the one thing I look forward to every year. And it's, it's, it's a very um, spiritual and high experience for them. And so he's, he's probably coming back from there like, just like, oh, that was incredible. That was awesome. And he sees a man lying there. He's been stripped and beaten. And, and what's going on in his mind? I don't know. Did he think, I can't stop because if I touch him, I'll be ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. Can't touch him. Or maybe it's like, I'm so excited about everything I went through in my life right now that I'm just not really paying attention to him. I'm, not, I'm just going to walk on this side and just avoid it because if I don't see it, I don't have to do anything about it, so I'm just going to keep over here. Or maybe he thought, well, there's a Levite right behind me and he'll take care of him because he's even more religious than I am. I mean, that's, he serves more. I'm more up front and he's more of the server, so maybe he'll do that. We don't know. But we do know that the Levite then came up. He did a little bit more investigation. Scripture says that he walked over and at least looked at him. And then he went over and passed by and kept on going. Now again, I'm looking at this. I'm thinking, here are two religious workers, right? What we discover is that just because you do religious work doesn't make you religious. Maybe they were really good at their official work of serving God. But it appears that they were lacking in compassion and kindness, at least on that day. Again, can't judge them because I'm not with them, but we saw what they did. A lot of times their actions speak pretty loud, right? Makes you wonder, though, would that have changed had it been today? I mean, if today was modern day, would they have stopped? They might have because the pride of man maybe would have been puffed up a little more because I would have had my cell phone and I would have stopped and like, I'm going to post something. Stop today to help a beat up man. I want everybody to know that I'm pretty cool. Send, right? Or I could have been like the Levite, like, selfie, okay, smile. I know it hurts. Just try it. Roll with it. Yay. Look, the guy that I helped today, right? Because that's our pride. We want people to know how good we are. They didn't have that back then, so that didn't happen. But maybe that's a good thing because the pride of us sometimes would have stepped in, right? We get to this next part. And we think about this, like, why did the next man stop? Why didn't they stop? Because here's the thing. We can be very judgmental, too, about the people we should or should not help. This was a melting pot time where you have all kinds of beliefs, religious, political, ethnic backgrounds. By the way somebody dressed or the way they spoke by their dialect, you could tell where they're from and what they were like. But because this man was unconscious and couldn't talk and because he has been stripped, you have no idea about his background. All we know is that he's human. So why didn't they stop? Third man, look at verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And I said, you know, you look at this story, it's like, of all people Jesus used, he chose the Samaritan. See, Samaritans hated Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. They just 
don't like each other, right? And of all people, who could have been a neighbor to this man? Jesus picked a Samaritan. I mean, even the young lawyer here is like, Jesus said, so who was, uh, who was the neighbor to this man? He couldn't even say it. He couldn't say Samaritan. He's like, um, the one who showed mercy. That is correct. Who would that be? The third gentleman. That is correct. Who would that be? You know, the other guy. Say it. Say Samaritan. He can't because he hates him so much, right? I love how Jesus makes this so real to these people. They all saw the hurt man. Only one acted on what he saw. He did what Jesus did all through the New Testament. See, it's, it's, it, we're, let's put ourselves in that situation. All of us see things going on around us all the time, but some of us see with the eyes of Jesus. Jesus, whenever he saw somebody that was sick, hurt, blind, lame, demonized, depressed, whatever it might be, he showed passion, compassion and kindness on them, right? So this man right here, he stops and is like, I've got the eyes of Jesus. Got to do something. So he stopped and he helped. And that's what Jesus does. He looks at humanity and he says, I need to help you all. But then he realizes, there's a lot of you. Now, does Jesus have the power to help us all? Absolutely. But what does he do again? He deputizes each and every one of us to be Jesus here. To show kindness to those who are hurting. And I, what I love about this is the Samaritan saw the eyes of this hurt man through the eyes of Jesus. He, he like bends down. He's like, First of all, are you a Democrat or Republican? You got a Vax card? Where do you stand on same-sex marriage? I want to know all this before I show kindness to you. Is that what he did? No. That's what we do. We do. We, we label people. This man was stripped. He had no clue where, where he stood. He had no conversation to find out what he believed. He just said, I see humanity that is hurting and I will help. Today, we've, let me know where you stand before I have a conversation with you so I know whether I can start disagreeing with you right away or not. You know, it's like, that didn't happen. Why? Because he looked at him with the eyes of Jesus. And that's what we need as well, to have the eyes of Jesus. And it's going to take action. First, first we, we see it, then we've got to involve ourselves in some kind of action here. And it's like, but here's the scary part. If I'm kind to this person, I might... Something might happen to me. Absolutely. I mean, the, that third guy who stopped, the Samaritan, the despised Samaritan, he knew very well if I stop and help him, there might be somebody that's going to jump me. But he stopped anyway. So he took a risk, right? We read through various scriptures. 1 John chapter 3, 17 and 18 says, If somebody has enough money to live well, sees a brother and sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear Children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. I heard a story about a gentleman who was coming to speak at this big event at a church. It was a very nice church. And he comes in and he's going to speak. But before he speaks, one of the ladies comes up who's part of the committee and says, um, before you get up to speak, I need to make a, an announcement for a prayer request. We have, an, we have a missionary who has an emergency financial need. And I just want to invite everybody to pray for that missionary with that, with that need. Can I do that? And the main speaker said, no, no. The speaker got up and said, 
there's a missionary with financial need that was just shared with me. And here's what the situation was. Uh, before we pray, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take all the money I have in my pocket, and I'm going to give towards that need. I'm going to ask all of you to do the same thing. And if and after done, when we've given and collected the money and counted, if there's still need, then we will pray about it. Obviously, God already brought the need forward. You don't need to pray about a need that's been brought forward, right? Sure enough, money was collected. They had enough. They need to pray about it. It's already been taken care of. See, sometimes God says, I've already given you my spirit. What do you want to pray about? Just go ahead and put it into action. Go ahead and do what you need to do. Showing kindness, you know, I'd like to say is, is easy at times, but sometimes it's not easy. And especially when it comes to people we don't know. It's easy to be nice to family and friends. It's easy to be nice to somebody who's sitting next to you at the ball game, but maybe two rows down. It's not easy to be kind to them, right? But how is it that I can be kind to one but not to another? Isn't the same Spirit of God working in with me that should be working with another person and how I relate to others? Ah, oh, this is challenging, isn't it? Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And we show that kindness by being tenderhearted with people. We show our kindness by being forgiving with people. And then here's the thing. We do that through respect. Respect is basically this. You have value. I have value. Respect basically acknowledges that you have value. When I look at you, I respect you by saying, I'm going to treat you with value. When we disrespect people, we're basically saying, you don't have any value. When I show tenderness, that goodness, or that kindness, that respect, I'm saying, you have value, and I'm going to put it into action right now. And, and again, this third person, the despised Samaritan, he gave up various things. Here's the thing. For you and I, I don't know who God is telling you to be kind to. I don't know how he's telling you to be kind. I just have this story in front of me that shows me that I'm supposed to. And, and here's an example of, of how. He gave up his time. First of all, that despised Samaritan stopped. He could have kept going. He could have been on a time schedule. Like I, I would love to help, but I don't have time. And then he stopped to actually get down and touch the man. People are like, I don't want to touch that. No. No, I'm not going to bandage wounds. I don't handle blood very well. Oh, and then he gave up his ride, whatever he was riding on, horse, donkey, his beast, as it says in Scripture. You know, it was sort of like, I'm going to put you, the hurt man, on here. I'm going to walk. I'll, I'll give up my ride. And, and then when he got to the end, he gave up money to pay for his expenses to be at the end. Do you see all the stuff he gave up? He gave up his heart. He gave up his time. He gave up his money. He gave up his ride. He gave up a lot of stuff to give us examples of how we can maybe be kind to others. Again, I'm not going to tell you who you need to be kind to. I'm not going to tell you how to be kind. But I am going to tell you that God is kind. And his spirit resides in us. And we need to be kind to others. How and who is totally between you and God. And I will just cheer you on in doing it. And you can cheer me on in doing it as well. Worship team, would you come forward, please? As the worship team's coming forward, I just, I'll just close with this story. A young man, his name is Billy, came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior when he was in college. You just sort of picture him as this sort of long, scraggly hair young man, ripped jeans, T-shirt guy, no shoes kind of guy, barefoot kind of guy. You can picture him, okay? He's at college, and uh, he came to know Jesus at college. And he's like, okay, I probably should start going to church. 
he sees across from his dorm a church across the street. So one Sunday, he's like, I'm going to go to that church. And it's a very affluent church, a very nice church, but just really nice, right? So he comes walking into church one Sunday, not on time. The service had already started. And uh, he comes walking in barefoot, ribbed jeans, long hair, you know, just sort of, you know, picture like, uh, like the guy just came off of, I don't know, off of the streets, uh, maybe off of the beach, I don't know. And he comes walking into a church where everybody's looking really fancy, right? And as he walks in, everybody sort of looks at him like, oh, oh. He looks for a seat in the back, but he's not finding any seats. So he just sort of keeps walking down and walking down and walking down. And, and he gets up to, almost up to the front and realizes there's nowhere to, to sit. So he just plops right down in the middle of the aisle. Everybody else had been seated and the pastor had already come up to the pulpit. And, and everybody's quiet and they're sort of hushed like, what's the pastor going to do? What's going to happen? Suddenly this, this elder of the church in the back, dressed really elegant, very dignified, 80-year-old man, silver hair. Always been a sharp part of the church, right? He comes walking down the middle aisle with his cane. And he comes walking down and sees Billy and gets up to Billy and just puts his cane down and sort of gets down with Billy and sits down with Billy and, and just looks at him and continues to worship. The pastor is up at front and he goes, you are probably never going to remember one word I say the rest of this morning, but you'll never forget what you just saw. Church, this is how Jesus works with us. In the midst of our brokenness and loneliness, Jesus enters our world and sits with us. We don't deserve it, but he does because he's kind. And then he says, I'm here with you. You're not alone. And then Jesus says, now I want to work through you to be kind to others. That's the way God works. And that's the way he wants to work through us. Amen. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing, loving, giving, kind God you are. You are powerful, no doubt about it. And when you look down on mankind... I'm sure there's times you just want to squash us because we are so rebellious and silly at times with the things we do. But you love us and you show kindness and that takes great strength. And then you say, now I'm giving you my spirit. I'm deputizing you to help me spread the good news. Rejoice. Your name is registered in heaven. Now I want you to go live like your name's registered in heaven. Be kind to others. Be kind to others. I don't care what their background is. I don't care about their, their, their political affiliation. I don't care about their, their ethnic background. I don't care what side of the tracks they grew up on, their, their, their education. I, I created them. And I want you to love them. Show kindness. And God, we know that that is not an easy thing to do. So God, thank you for coming into this world and sitting right down with us and saying, I'm here with you. I'll help you. Because God, we need your help. We need your spirit to do this. So God, by the power of your spirit, have your way with us. Help us to be kind to others. Show us who that is. Show us how it is. It's going to be different for all of us, God. But show us how we can be kind to others. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you, God, that we can come here this morning and worship. That's why we came. Not for a message, not not for coffee, not for other people, not to put off the checklist. God, we came here to worship, so God... We're just going to worship you right now with this next song. Lord, may you be glorified. In thy name we pray. Amen.